Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 14th, 2022, including supermassive games have been acquired, an Apex Legends single-player game appears to be on the way, more details on E3's return have surfaced, and more. On this day in Xbox history, Rocksmith, the all-new 2014 edition, released downloadable content in the form of Leonard Skinner's Tuesdays Gone, available on Xbox 360 version in the year 2015. All right, guys, welcome to episode 163 of the Xbox On podcast. That might be one of the more obscure ones. Try to make them as insanely obtuse and just unamusing as as, as generally possible, with rare exception. Just helps keep with the uh, the general tone of this show, which is like, why? Uh, if there's if there's one lingering question or feeling I want Xbox on to leave people with, it's not informed. It's not entertained. It's why. All right, guys. I do want to say at the top of the show, I am looking for feedback if the audio sounds different to you guys this week. I am no audiophile. I hate that term, but I'm using it here. I am by any stretch of the imagination, but I do I do want your feedback if you guys feel like this week's episode sounds a little different for better or for worse because I'm using a new microphone, and so I just want to make sure that if it sounds like a little quieter, a little more off, a little more echoey or something something's worse. I want to make sure that's something I can be aware of so I can address and try to make it better. Not to say the show ever had particularly incredible quality, but I feel like for a one-man podcast, this podcast does have slightly above average. I don't know. So many podcasts just sound like fucking Zoom calls. So like I just want to at least be a, a tier of above that. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't got to be the, the highest quality you ever heard. But anyway, using a new microphone this past Monday while we were streaming, I was setting things up and my microphone, my old microphone, finally shit the bed. It's been going for a while now, for about the past year of actually doing Xbox on. Some of the internal wiring of the microphone has been like actually bulging out the top. And the uh, the on-off switch has just, like, fallen into the microphone and just shifted all the way down to the bottom, and I haven't seen it in a long time. So th- that microphone was going. It was time for it to uh, get put into the ground. So this was the week. Finally, uh, finally had to say goodbye to it, and here we are with a brand-new microphone, pretty much of the exact same quality and price range, so probably not much different, but like I said, if, if anything's different, please let me know. Guys, this is not a microphone podcast. This is not an audio file roundtable. This is actually an Xbox podcast, and the table, rather than being round, is actually a squarish, boxy-looking desk where I stand in my boxers and talk about Xbox. You can tell there's a box theme to this show. All right, guys. Now, let's start out this week's show with our updates, Activision stories, mild of mild amusement stories, corrections, things I got wrong if possible, which is not generally the case. And uh, no, no, no flex there. <clears throat> Just uh, copy and paste a lot of news from other sources that get it right. Uh, okay, but seriously, let's let's jump into our updates and stories of mild amusement this week. Thankfully, I am proud to, to relay to you we have no Activision news. Getting into actual stuff, let's talk about Gamescom because it is coming up. Gamescom, always an August event, generally like early 
to mid-August. It's coming up, and this week, Xbox has confirmed that they will be participating in Gamescom 2022, which should come as no surprise. The announcement from Xbox read, following a recent Xbox and Bethesda game showcase, we're excited to confirm that Xbox will be back on the show floor at Gamescom 2022 in Cologne, Germany. Fans in Europe and around the world can expect updates on some announced games coming to Xbox in the next 12 months and a chance to hang out as a community once again. Xbox said that they will provide more details in early August. Um, okay, yeah, I, I, I don't know. When is Gamescom? Is it, it's like mid-August then? I don't know when it is. Whatever. It's probably in about a month from when you're hearing this show. In general, I mean, years past, Xbox is a big participant of Gamescom, so that's not surprising to hear them say, hey, we're going to be there now that Gamescom's back. For those uh, who aren't familiar, Gamescom is the biggest gaming convention that happens in the entire planet. It happens in Cologne, Germany. Every every August or so, and it is, I mean, by size and by attendance, it is just a sheer massive event. And Xbox has actually hosted press conferences there, basically like E3 Part 2s, if you will, the past, oh man, I mean, until COVID and all, you know, Gamescom had to pull the plug for a while. They were doing it, I think, every year since 2014 or 2015. So it had been quite a while. It looks like that's not exactly what they're doing this year based on the vagueness. I feel like if they had a press conference to announce, that's what they would have said here. So it is a little, it's a little weird to see them be like, yeah, we're going to be there, but we're not, but they're, they're a little shy about what it is they're going to have there. I, I think this is a good thing. I hope there's no press conference because we've seen this happen for a while now where Xbox is just stretching themselves way too thin with forcing themselves to be at all these events with, with news to announce, even when they don't have news to announce. So if this is just their way of saying, like, Xbox games will be on the show floor, we will be a sponsored partner of the event, you know, whatever, that's that's good, that's cool. But I, I, I do hope this is them kind of saying in not so many words, we're not doing a press event at Gamescom this year because, boy, it's like, dude, just, just listen, we get it. 2022 is a little bit of a drier year. It's that way on all platforms. It's not just Xbox. Literally, everyone's dealing with it right now. Let's just let it be that way and accept it for what it is rather than try to like force hype and then have another disappointing event. It seems like generally in recent history, the way it's gone is like their summer event is always their most hype event. Their Game Awards announcement in December because they, they, they're they heavy participants of the Game Awards seem to be like their number two. And then Gamescom is usually like a distant third place for relevant or interesting announcements. I mean, the last like super hype news we ever got out of Gamescom was in 2015 or 16 when they announced Halo Wars 2. And like, I mean, that's a fucking long ass time ago now. So yeah, let's, let's, let's maybe not make a huge deal out of Gamescom unless you have big deal news to break, which obviously it, it, that's not a slight to Gamescom. I think it's just because the, the, the proximity of their summer event or E3 and then Gamescom is just, it's too much too close together. It doesn't make sense. But they will be present in some form or capacity. We will learn probably in about three weeks what that means. But um, don't expect anything too big. Because, again, I think if they had a proper showcase event, they would have come out with that and been proud to announce it. But, again, luckily we've seen Xbox this starting this summer with their with their showcase they did a few weeks ago start to take the, the appropriate tact of being like, yo, let's talk about what is near term like what's what's coming up in the next 12 months rather than be like here are seven games that have splash screens and titles uh and who knows what the fuck they are or when they're coming out so that's cool now we got a little update on gamescom we'll hear more from them soon about that now let's talk about some updates now last week we talked about the rockstar story how they were confidently talking about how they're doubling down on development of grand theft auto 6 and 
that was kind of in response to some leaks that were coming out saying, hey, there were initially some intentions of maybe doing a remaster of the old Red Dead Redemption on Xbox 360 or GTA 4 from the 360 era and putting them on, you know, Series X, up, updating them, doing a remaster of them. But, you know, the decision to double down GTA 6 paired with the rumored and leaked information about you know their disappointment with the with the performance of the Grand Theft Auto trilogy remaster that came out late last year kind of potentially led for them to move away from that well now we're getting additional information additional reporting and leaks that suggest maybe um there were also at one point plans to bring Red Dead Redemption 2 the 2018 Xbox One game uh remake remaster or you know some updated form of that game to the Series X, Series S generation. Um, I guess this would be pretty in line with what they did with Grand Theft Auto uh, V, where, if you remember, Grand Theft Auto V came out in September of 2013, just two months before the Xbox One launched. So within about a year of the game's release, they were quick to be like, yeah, and we're also bringing GTA V to Xbox One because why wouldn't we? So I guess this is, it's a little off because because Red Dead Redemption 2 was 2018, Xbox Series S and X was 2020, but, you know, two years is still pretty much tying up the Xbox One leading into the Xbox Series S and X generation. So it, it makes sense um, that you would maybe do a similar play with, with this title, but it looks like that, according to this leaked information, also... Um, also might not be happening so just want to throw that little tidbit in there and shout out to that was uh, tez 2 a rockstar insider who leaked that information that was making the rounds this week so credit where credit's due yeah i mean dude same thing and and here's the thing it's like i don't listen at the end of the day on a personal level i don't care what they decide to remake or not remake you know it's it's my money i get to decide whether or not i want to support these things it's it, it doesn't all at the end of the day whether or not rockstar ports you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 over to Xbox Series X or not doesn't really impede on my ability to fucking, I don't know, like, marry a woman and buy a house and raise a family one day. It's like, it, it's just a totally separate whatever. If, if you don't care, you don't care kind of thing. I just, as I as we talked about last week, it's just, I, I generally prefer to not see these teams, especially when you talk about someone like, like uh, Rockstar, when I'd say top three most talented developers in the entire industry, see them waste talent and waste time on remastering something like Red Dead Redemption 2 when it's a game that simply just doesn't require that kind of treatment. Like Red Dead Redemption 2 is, in my opinion, an absolute storytelling masterpiece in the games industry, possibly the greatest example of storytelling in gaming history. I, I think it's just that truly that beautiful and magnificent of a game, but I just... I still, even with that high praise and that level of respect towards that title, think that that is an absolute waste of time and resources. Again, it's just like, dude, fuck off, man. It's like Red Dead Redemption 2, we're not talking about the jump from like Super Mario 64 to, you know, The Last of Us. We're talking about, we're talking about a game that still looks and runs and performs phenomenally well, despite the fact that, yes, it's technically a last-generation game because it was an Xbox One title, not an Xbox Series X title. It's like, okay, we get it, man. But that generation of gaming, uh, you know, it's especially when you get to 360 and for sure in the Xbox One generation, that's when you get to the point in gaming where it's like the... The, the hobby, the entertainment medium has matured enough graphically and in terms of like our understanding of how to make these genres operate and perform and how to make these games, you know, approachable and ageless and timeless and fully functional and, 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 and stuff like that. I feel like we're at a point in 3D game development where we, we get it, you know, the games that are coming out today for the most part are going to age and handle well, you know, 
there there are plenty of examples of that. We always talk about not we always talk about we don't talk about it on this podcast, but everyone is well aware of like the simple concept of like how a game like Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Entertainment System is a timeless game that just looks great and you know better example Super Mario World especially cuz 16-bit sprite art is so beautiful you know a game like Super Mario World is just as fun today as it was you know back in the early 90s it, it looks just as beautiful today as it did back in the, in the 90s so we don't really got to worry about remastering or remaking a game like that i understand you know when you talk about like N64, early Xbox OG days, those games are, are rough. We didn't understand the 3D realm. We didn't understand how to make camera just right. We didn't understand the the the, the Z axis and all these things. You know, it was just it was just the X and Y playing field. So I, I get it. I get it. There's a lot of games from those years that are really rough and can really benefit from the treatment. But I think we're kind of getting to the point with this modern game development with modern games that. They really don't require, you know, with everything being in HD, with mostly everything performing well. I mean, I, there's listen, I'm never going to complain about a frame rate boost here or there, you know. You want to take a game that ran at 30 FPS and bump it to 60, be my guest. But at the end of the day, there's just a point where it is egregious, you know. Like, you could even argue, like, the Halo remasters were a little bit pushing it. Because although graphically, there are, you know, those games aren't beautiful. You're talking about, like, Halo 1 and 2, and, and obviously... It, it was nice to bump them to 60 FPS. Like, you, you play Halo 1 or Halo... Like, you can literally play Halo 2 on a Xbox OG from 20 years ago. And guess what? It is super fucking fun to play, easy to pick up and understand. It is a ph phenomenal game. That was an early example of that. But you, you fast forward to today, man, there's, like, basically no first-person shooter you can pick up where that isn't the case. You know, we're not running the GoldenEye 64 or whatever where, like, there's no fucking camera stick and it aims like dog shit and everyone just remembers good college dorm room memories of it, but it actually is a miserable game to play. That is not really the case. Like, even the most mediocre of game releases today at least controls and handles pretty competently. So, I, I don't know. I digress. I'm getting on a whole tirade here. But, guys, focus on new games more than remasters. We don't need them. Unless, of course, we're trying to preserve games that are hard to access, you know, due to being locked on platforms that aren't really accessible. Like, I, I, I get Nintendo wanting to bring Wii games, you know, forward, because it's like, who the fuck can play a Wii game in a world where the Nintendo Wii is an obscure, hard-to-access console, right? But, I mean, seriously, the fucking Xbox 360 games? That shit's all backwards compatible, just, you know, unless, of course, we're talking about my precious paintball games. Those are not backwards compatible. Okay, next up, let's let's move on. I'm, I, I, I grew tired of this conversation. VGC has relayed, or actually not VGC, data published by Famitsu that VGC just relayed. That's some exciting Xbox news. I know we keep talking about it. Xbox just happened to... Uh, outsell PlayStation this month, and oh, it's doing really well in Japan right now, but the now we got some additional information. The Xbox Series family of consoles, Series S and X, have more than doubled the entire lifetime sales of the Xbox One family of consoles. That includes, you know, Xbox One, Xbox One S, Xbox uh, One X, everything. The entire lifetime sales from the thing that day that thing went on sale. Well, actually, that I don't know. Did Xbox One go on sale in Japan? I don't think it did in November 2013. I think it was early 2014 when it went to Japan. I don't remember exactly. I had to go back and look. But basically from like 2014-ish all the way until you, you can assume like what what was like a year a year ago when they stopped making Xbox One. Honestly, it was kind of 2020, basically two years ago. But anyway, 
you know, for a long ass six to seven year run, Xbox One has already been out outpaced and outsold by Series S and X, which has only been on the market for a year and a half. So obviously that that sounds incredibly impressive on paper, but you have to keep it in consideration that the Xbox One brand sold incredibly shit in Xbox. Um, so they, they say between the Series S and the Series X, they've sold around 260,000 units in Japan. And in, for, for context, the Xbox One console sold around 115,000 uh, consoles in its, its six years on the market in Japan. However, the Series consoles still have a way to go before they break Xbox records because the best-selling Xbox console in Japanese history is actually the Xbox 360 which sold 1.6 million units in its lifetime. And you remember the... God, the Xbox One was from t- 2005 to 2013, roughly, if you're just talking about its its time frame. So, I mean, it had it had a, a fat eight-year chunk on the market. It's unlikely that the Xbox Series X and S will have nearly that long on the market before they upgrade to a newer console um, base, just because we're going to see Xbox continue to be more iterative and less generational, as, as, as the marketing suggested, with this console generation. So I, I don't know that they'll be able to surpass that number, especially with, you, you think, something like xCloud, like game streaming is a, is a big draw for the Japanese market, possibly, or at least on paper it is. So it's hard to see if hardware sales will surpass that 1.6 million of the 360. But man, let's 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 pay attention to that number because I feel like that is a they're off to a great start, and that's going to be a, an interesting one to track. They're you know, as of the time of this recording, they're they're what like a fifth of the way there, or something like that, whatever. Anyway, let's move on. Last one uh, before we jump into the proper segments of the show, the news, the what I've been eating, the comments, all the good shit. Guys, right as we, well, we, we talked about it last week, right, that Skull and Bones is going to get its release date, it's going to get a trailer the day last week's episode went live, and sure enough, that all happened. Uh, Ubisoft have finally announced Skull and Bones will release on the Xbox Series X, Series S, and PC on November 8th, 2022. So, right around the same week as God of War on the on the, on the PS, on the PS4 and 5, uh, right, you know, right after Call of Duty... Um, you know, God, God bless them. You're, you're hoping it works out for you guys. I, I have nothing to say to this. I, I went and watched the trailer because I was like, you know what? Let's see. Obviously, they've had to restart this game once or twice in development with all the delays that this game's received. So let's see if maybe the sea, not the sea of thieves, the skull and bones that it, that we're getting on November 8th. Let's see if that looks any more interesting than the one we saw released a million times in the past leading up to today. And I went and I watched the trailer. It was just some dumb cinematic trailer. There was no gameplay. I'm like, dude, this game's been development hell since before I fucking hit puberty. And still, it's just all they have to show. Cinematic trailer. So I was like, you know what? I don't care. Whatever. Maybe someone somewhere out there will care about Skull and Bones. For Ubisoft, I think at this point, this is just about recouping their costs or attempting to recoup the costs because this game has been in development for so long. You gotta understand. You, you got. You gotta think this is probably just a massive sunk cost for for Ubisoft. No pun intended. Pirate pun. But yeah, I just, dude, I I don't know who the hell is possibly interested in a game like Skull and Bones. I like here. Let's. I, I don't mean to be mean about it because I hope I'm wrong. I hope this game comes out and it's kick ass. It makes me feel like a dumbass, and I go pick it up, and it becomes my favorite game of all time. And and Ubisoft sells millions and millions of copies, and it's great. You know, I hope I'm wrong and that that's the case. But I don't think that's going to be the case. And I would like to be a little bit of a dick and say let's <laughs> let's make a prediction. The game comes out November eighth. Black Friday is you know what is that the third Friday 
of of November. So, all right, it comes out on Tuesday, November 8th. Black Friday is two weeks and three days. So two and a half weeks after that release date. I bet you that game comes out 60 bucks on November 8th. You will already be able to find it at like Best Buy and Amazon for like 40 bucks two and a half weeks later on November 25th for Black Friday. And then it will be on sale again for Christmas sales on digital storefronts like Xbox and PlayStation around November 19th, the month of no- you know, the week of November 19th, Monday. I'm looking at a calendar here and I bet you this game will be on like fucking sale. And then maybe even, maybe even if you want to go, if you want to be a bigger dick and go, let's see, November, Monday the 19th. If you want to go another week forward, Monday the 26th, the Monday after Christmas, Christmas is a Sunday this year. They'll probably start a new year's sale, which will run for about a week or two on Xbox Marketplace and PlayStation Network, where the game might even be as low as $29.99. How much you want to fucking bet you can buy this game by the end of this calendar year, by the, before we hit 2023, you can probably buy Skull and Bones for $29.99. That's my bet. Anyone want to take me up on it? All right, that's that's it for all of our opening news. Uh, stories of mild amusement. Guys, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just trying to have fun here. Uh, but, you know, whatever. It's, it, it's not the end of the world. They'll, they'll just make another fucking Assassin's Creed and and be fine financially. All right, let's uh, let's move into the real news. But before, before we do that, of course, we take a, a, a breather. We crack open. You hear the crack? Can my new microphone get the uh, the crack of my water bottle opening? And we talk about what we've been playing this past week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this past week, and I'm excited to talk to you about that because I got a lot of them, I want to tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, I am both eager and disappointed to tell you about what I have to say today because... You'll recall a week or two ago, whenever it was, I visited my family back home in Georgia and discovered at my old local grocery chain, Kroger, that a new Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza existed, and it was a thing, and it was just pure, it was pure goodness and and well-intentioned into the ether, available for all the young boys and girls and, and many people of the world to enjoy and indulge in. And I thought, gee whiz, if only one day I could eat this. But um, we don't have Kroger here in, in Florida. So I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't do it. There's no way to eat it. Well, lucky for me, this past week I had COVID. So because I was quarantined for the week and I couldn't go out and spread my germs in the grocery store, I was kind of confined and forced for the first time in my life to be among the upper crust of the world and to partake in, what do you call it, like grocery delivery services. So Kroger... Even though we don't have their stores here in Florida, you can order their food on the app and they will deliver it to you. So that's what we did. We ordered our groceries from Kroger's app for the first time, gave it a good old college try, saw what that was about. I'll tell you right now, spoiler alert, if I were a rich man, I would do this all the fucking time. It's amazing just ordering your groceries on your phone and then they just show up at your doorstep and you're like, oh my God, I didn't even have to fight traffic and go to the store. Uh, It's, you know, it's nice to be rich. But anyway, as a one and done experience, that was awesome. What wasn't awesome was the Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Unfortunately, there's no sugarcoating it. These suck. We got, there's two flavors. There's cheese and pepperoni. We got one of each. I have not tried the cheese one yet. We only tried the pepperoni. But man, oh man, there is zero resemblance between a Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza and a genuine 100% made in house made with pure love passion and possibly a little bit of arcade token uh, real Chuck E. Cheese pizza from a proper Chuck E. Cheese store guys I am heartbroken I am I'm dismayed I'm at a loss for words I don't know what to say other than please for the love of God if you ever have the opportunity to eat a Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza 
do yourself a favor and steer clear. I need you to go a couple a couple items over in the freezer aisle and pick yourself up one of those California Pizza Kitchen Sicilian pizzas because they're awesome. Tons of meat. They're spicy. They're yummy. Cheesy. It's a thick, buttery crust. Or, sorry, it's a thin, crispy, buttery crust. And it's really, really good for a frozen pizza. Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza is ass. Listen, I'm going to say one last thing, and we're going to get out of here. We're going to talk about what I've been playing. You will hear all the time these little fucking snobs, these same little losers that try and tell you that they're too good to eat McDonald's and that they only take care of their body and eat proper meals. The same kinds of fucking people in this world will use a tired and trite and just surface-level argument that frozen pizza tastes like cardboard. You'll hear it a million times. Many of you listening to this podcast right now might even be the kind of person to say that. But I am here to tell you that unfortunately, I can't properly describe a Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza to you because of that trite comparison you always hear. That frozen pizza tastes like cardboard. This Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza legitimately tastes like cardboard. You can taste the fucking fiber content of the wood in this. The, the crust, I shit you not, maybe we cooked it wrong. I don't think we did. We followed the instructions on the back. It's not that hard. This crust legitimately has the texture that imitates cardboard. And my teeth are hurting just thinking about it. You literally bite into it, and the sauce and the cheese and the pepperoni and everything snap off the top of the pizza, but the crust bends and folds like cardboard paper and does not tear apart. No matter how hard you bite and how hard you try to rip your bite from the rest of the slice, it simply does not dislodge. It does not break apart. This crust is legitimate cardboard, not like oh, it's not real Italian dough. It doesn't have the fucking Brooklyn water. Ah, you got to get the Hudson Bay water to contaminate your fucking New York bagels. It's not that kind of shit. I'm genuinely telling you, this pizza tastes like cardboard. I've never I've never felt that way about a crust before. I've, I've always thought, you know, eh, we get it. It's like a, you think you're so nice. You have such a good taste that you're going to compare it to cardboard. Like, no, no, no. This is a, a tr- truth. I listen, if you ever get the chance, please don't try it. I love you too much. I don't want to see you fall down the same path I fell down. But I, I'm telling you to please, for love of Christ, take my word for it. This pizza tastes like cardboard. It is shit. Otherwise, it's pretty generic. You know, the toppings, the sauce, the cheese, the pepperoni it just tastes like any crappy, like, tombstone pizza, you know? Nothing special. But man, oh man, that crust, that cardboard, they fucked it up so bad. I still got a cheese one laying in the, in the freezer, and I'm not a wasteful person, so I will eat it. It will 100% eat it. And if for whatever reason it's drastically different from the pepperoni pizza, which I don't think it will be, I'll let you know. But Chuck E. Cheese pizza, boy oh boy, I am crushed. That it is not only not good, but it is in fact terrible. I, and I like frozen pizza. I have, I'm not I, I'm not a person with a, a fancy palate. I am willing to admit I enjoy frozen pizza. Even like mediocre frozen pizza. I'll eat a fucking Red Baron pizza. I'm not above that. Are you kidding me, dude? I'll fucking, I'll eat a Red Baron pizza any goddamn day of the week, and I'll dip my crust in ranch like a good old little redneck boy. But Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza? No, thank you. All right, let's move on, because I'm, I'm frustrated now. I don't I don't want to take it out on the mouse, or the, the rat. Fuck, the mouse is Disney. The rat is Chuck E. Cheese. God damn it. All right, let's talk about what I've been playing. Let's, let's steer back to Xbox, because this is, uh, here, here's, let's instill some confidence and some positivity into the show, because another plus side of having COVID I got to be home all week, cannot leave the house, so I don't have to worry about Disney World distracting me. I'm not going to go to a theme park and play around like a fucking seven-year-old. I don't have to worry about my job distracting me. I don't have to go into the office and fucking type up emails and talk to people and do work. So lucky me, I get to stay home and sit on the couch, and no one looks at me and says, when are you going to do some work? 
And you don't even have to feel bad about yourself. You can just play Xbox for however many days you're sick in a row. It's amazing. Like, I, I don't understand why more people don't do this. So, it was great. I, I, I played so many video games this week. And, and actually, what the past week has taught me is that I've been in a little bit more of a gaming funk recently than I, than I even realized I was. I've just... Like, I love video games so much. I really, really do. This is one of my all-time favorite hobbies, but I've realized that the past few years of my life has have really started to impede on my ability to enjoy games or enjoy them as much as I, as I would like to and have typically done because I have access to other hobbies and other freedoms that I just didn't have before, you know? Now that I, I, my, my current life situation is the way it is, so... Being forced to be like, hey, you cannot go out. You cannot explore other things. You can't go other places. You can't do other things. You got to just stay the fuck home. My options were, well, shit, I guess I can either make another YouTube video for my channel, which I'm sure as hell not going to do, or I can play video games on my ass for five days. And that's what I did. And damn, it was great. It was beautiful. So I wrote down, I, I probably played like 15 fucking things this week, but I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six games. And some of them we'll talk about in detail. And some of them we'll just kind of gloss over because, eh, you know, whatever. Had, spoiler alert, it's 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 a pretty slow news week. This is probably, like, top five most dead news weeks um, we've had of the year for sure. So I'm going to indulge a little more in the What I've Been Playing segment um, to kind of not, – not it sounds like I'm just saying to pad out the podcast. I guess maybe that is what I'm doing, but I don't know. So we can have some – some more video game conversation without it feeling like you're getting skimped on the Xbox discussion, if that makes sense. But also because I'm I'm in a good mood. I'm excited to talk about Xbox. I'm excited to talk about video games. So fucking in, let me indulge. And if you don't like it, well, damn, there's not much I can do about that. I guess you're free to go do whatever the hell's uh, whatever the hell else you want. But let's first off, I played some more X Defiant. I know last week we talked about it. I said this game is surprisingly really good looking controls really well i think plays good and is generally going to be an objectively good time for a multiplayer fps game um if the final release is anything like these betas they've been doing every friday afternoon but i wasn't planning on coming back but you know i was like whatever fuck it i'm sick i'm here i'm gonna be home anyway let me let me play a little more x defiant and so last friday i did and i felt a hundred percent the exact same way i felt the first time I played, I was hoping playing again would make me maybe appreciate a little more or see some things I didn't see before. But no, I feel the exact same way. Really good feeling game. Really cool map variety, mode variety, um, interesting guns and in, in maps and everything. And I just think this game feels pretty sweaty and twitchy. And man, oh man, it might have they might be onto something with this game with the esports community. But God almighty, I'll stick to my Halo and Call of Duty. <laughs> no, thank you. So X Defiant, I, I I just I guess I bring that up not so I can be like oh well I'm I'm taking the win out of X Defiant, but no rather because I think this is a game where I think a lot of people want this game to suck because the name is terrible and because Ubisoft is doing a lot of shitty games right now and I just don't think that's the case with X Defiant. I, I want to speak in defense of it. I really do think X Defiant has at least from top to bottom from a gameplay perspective all the potential in the world to be quite a good multiplayer FPS and. I guess I'm putting that out there, out there to say if you like competitive first-person shooters, especially in the vein of like a Call of Duty, I, I, I think X Defiant is something you should not sleep on 100%. You should definitely be paying attention to this game. Uh, when it comes out, I assume later this year, um, hopefully it's free to play because I think that's the only way to make this game really have a praying chance. But also, you know, I think I think this game has a really good opportunity if it is free to play and releases at the right time to capture that that core multiplayer competitive scene because it 
what 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 they've got here is you know it's, it's definitely a lot more than what fucking Battlefield 2042 launched with, and it's definitely in a more content complete state than even if it, in its beta form than what what Halo Infinite launched at, and it definitely feels a lot more fresh and unique than a game like Call of Duty Vanguard you know launched as. So comparing it to our more recent big name first person shooters. I'm, I'm telling you, X Define, as someone who's probably not really going to get into this game, X Define is, it's they're hitting all the boxes. They're making something good here. Even, just because it's not for me, I, I don't think that really matters. I think I think this game definitely has the potential to resonate with the big audience. And I don't know. I would just recommend keep an eye out on it. But God almighty, I hope when Ubisoft does their event in September that they um they announce a name change for this because this X Define is a terrible name. All right, that's a quick one. Let's talk about like one of the big games, one of the unique games I played this week. So this past week on Game Pass, we got Nakara. I keep saying Nakara. It's Naraka Blade Point. Now, this game has been on PC for about a year, um, but it just came to Xbox and PC Game Pass. Uh, it was announced to be coming to Xbox and PC Game Pass at the Bethesda Xbox Summer Showcase that happened a few weeks back. And if you remember at the time, I, I thought this game looked pretty cool. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased to report now that I've put maybe about five hours or so into the game. This game is very cool. This game is very, very cool. Naraka is a 60-player battle royale game. And the gameplay, I don't... Man, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing justice by saying this. Aesthetically and from a gameplay perspective, I feel like this is something between, like... Monster Hunter and Dark Souls, but do not, do not, listen, if you play this game and you're a Dark Souls fan, do not be like, Jesse, you fucking idiot, it's nothing like Dark Souls. I know the game itself is nothing like Dark Souls, but I'm saying something about, something about the menus and the art style of the world and what they're going for here gives me a little bit of a Dark Souls feeling. I feel like there's some inspiration from, like, trying to adapt that combat style in a player versus setting player, uh, uh, sorry, player versus player setting. And that's, that's, so that's why I say that. Maybe that's just because obviously Dark Souls is a franchise that has a popular swords, medieval, Europe, fucking creepy, whatever look with a Asian twist or whatever. However you want to describe that. And that this game kind of inherits some of those qualities. And so I'm just woefully mischaracterizing it from an aesthetic standpoint, but let's not focus on that too much. The other game I, I, I do compare this to, and I more confidently compare it to from a, from a feel and handling perspective is dark is not dark. Souls is a, uh, is monster hunter and monster hunter. You're like, well, Jesse, how the fuck does that make sense? In monster hunter, you fight monsters and this, you fight other players. Again, the way your character controls and feels and your attack and all that, that third person action combat with swords and bows and in and, and, uh, uh, fucking like dual dual wield like axes and shit. Like, I don't know. The weapon variety and everything about the way the game kind of handles and controls and feels has a very has a very Monster Hunter feel to it. It, it. Even down to like the fact that like you think about the Monster Hunter gameplay loop where it's like you're dropped into a map. You know there's a monster somewhere on that, so you, you explore this map and you and you like, you know, you look for things to collect and things to kill and sharpen your blades and you heal yourself and you collect items and you craft little items and then you find the monster and you fight them. It's it kind of ha- inherits a little bit of that with the, with the battle royale formula where it's like you like have to sharpen and maintain the the quality of your weapons and you have to like explore the map and loot. Obviously, like any battle royale game, and you know it's like a confined map and you have to find your enemies and your in your points of attack and when you're playing it, it it's it's like taking the battle royale the tried and true battle royale formula and making it somehow feel like monster hunter which is what i got from it but obviously once you're in the moment to moment combat and you're fighting other players it's obviously very much a third person 
action uh, melee focused for the most part battle royale game and and i anyway i just think this game is actually quite awesome i, I think it's really really good this is probably the next battle royale game that's gonna bite me and, and get me in for a little while i, I had this happen every now and then with a battle royale game i think the one that's got me the most for sure uh, over time has definitely been apex legends um but you know at, at one point every battle royale with the exception of of warzone call of duty warzone has basically caught me and, and got me in for you know a couple tens dozen dozen hours or so and i think this for sure is the next one and i'm, I'm really really glad to say that because i think it's a you i think it's a unique game and i think it's um i think it, this is a game that really fits the, the it fits like the the tiers of like what xbox gamers look for while also offering something new for the xbox ecosystem if that makes sense like so this game is developed by what are they called 24 it's like 24 entertainment or something like that yeah 24 entertainment yeah they're, they're from hangshu china and obviously that's a very unique thing to see a chinese not only a chinese developer making games for a western audience and games for the console market which is incredibly uncommon to see because you know for the chinese market that's almost entirely dominated by pc and mobile um but also to see it geared towards xbox the xbox market the most the most western centric console gaming brand of all time and so i i think that's really cool this is it's kind of like the thing we're always saying with japanese games right where it's like well listen if we want to see more stuff from other parts of the world if we want to see more games from territories like this come to xbox and diversify the portfolio of gaming on on this platform we got to support these kinds of games i think this is a perfect opportunity to support some chinese developers and get their content on xbox and I think Naraka is a really good entry point for Xbox gamers because it takes multiplayer, it takes Battle Royale, thing, those are two things that Xbox players are very familiar with because Xbox is a very multiplayer-centric platform to begin with, and then and then adds in something a little more unique, a, a Chinese developer, a, a, a new approach to the Battle Royale formula. And I think this game is quite successful in just offering a really fun, fleshed-out, well-polished, and, and good free-to-play battle royale game i guess technically not free-to-play because you got to be subscribed to game pass of course to have access to it but i i i don't know to to me there's no downside to downloading the 25 gigabytes of this game and and giving it a go one saturday afternoon i think if you're into battle royale games i think you'll be quite pleased at the very least with how well put together and polished and presentable this this game actually is it's it's quite fun it's quite unique and thankfully in, in my experience it doesn't it doesn't run into what i hope what, what i feared would be the potential biggest downfall of this game which would be a, a combat system where they try to make it a little too nerdy thankfully it doesn't lean too much into the dark souls influence of being like well you have to master the parry system and oh you have to really uh, understand the art form of every every weapon in the arsenal is really like a like a different dance partner and you just really got to learn their moves don't fight against your weapon learn how to dance with your weapon thank god this game is not one of those games where they just fucking make you you tell your call your job and tell me you need to cut back your hours so you can focus more on getting good at a new video game you can actually just play the game and have a good time I, again i probably played like 10 matches 10 or 15 matches of this game and and i can tell you confidently like sometimes i absolutely dominate and shred and sometimes i die and i'm like oh that's pretty fair that person was a lot better than i was but i i never die and i'm just like what the fuck they just they just hack and slash and i never stood a chance you know for the most part it's just like the combat makes sense it feels fair it feels balanced and uh that's that's not an easy feat especially when you're considering 
the nature of a battle royale game where it's like you loot the map and some people have better gear than others and some people are higher skilled than others. So there's a lot of factors in consideration and just in my experience, my limited experience so far with this game, I feel like it's quite balanced, quite fun, quite accessible. Definitely a lot easier to pick up and play than a game like Call of Duty Warzone where you're just like, gee whiz, I can't wait to see what Call of Duty Warzone's all about after 27 fucking minutes of matchmaking because I had to find 100 players and I had to wait into a lobby for forever and run around, wait for the match to start. You finally drop in, you're like, okay, let's see what Call of Duty Battle Royale is like. And then you're like, one step, two step, three step, boom, snipe from across the fucking map. You're out, matchmake again. Like, that sucks. That fucking sucks. I've noticed with games like Naraka and also reasons why I liked games like Apex Legends, there's a way higher time to kill. There's way more of an opportunity to kind of understand what the fuck is happening in the map, which is a lot more rewarding when you're playing a game style that is so high stakes that's like, yeah, man, you get shot once, you, you, you die once, you're out. You know, It works for Call of Duty when you're talking about regular multiplayer where it's like, yeah, well, if I die, I'll respawn in less than a blink of an eye. But you know, you're talking about fucking Warzone. It's like, okay, 35 minutes of your life gone just because you accidentally got sniped from 35 clicks away or whatever the hell that even means. Anyway, Naraka, I, I, I highly, highly recommend. If you are a Battle Royale fan, you give this game a go. Again, let's let's support some new kinds of devs on Xbox. Let's send a message that we want this shit. You know, we want we want to play Persona. We want to play Naraka. We want to play Pers- uh, 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 Fantasy Star Online. We want to play Yakuza. Like, let's 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 send a message to Xbox and these developers as well. Like, we want more content from from new developers on our platform. Doesn't all have to be Eastern Europeans and dudes in California. You know, so let's fucking make it happen, boy. All right, so that's that's the that's the newest game I've probably been playing this week. Uh, next up, I fell back into Hot Wheels Unleashed. God, this game is good. I, I I played a shit ton of it. This is probably the game I played the most while while I was knocked out this week. This game came out last September, like tail end of September. It was it just kind of it was a victim of its release time because it came out literally like a day or two before I had to go out of town to visit my dad. And then by the time I came back, I wasn't in the mood to play games and like a couple things got in the way. And then before I knew it, it was like, ah, we're like a few days away from uh, Forza Horizon 5 coming out. I really, you know, I'm not going to like fatigue myself on a racing game just for another racing game to come out. And unfortunately, this game kind of fell by the wayside for me. I was really looking forward to it. Only ended up putting about five hours into it last year. Thankfully, this past week, I've gone straight back down the rabbit hole with this game. Obviously, there's a ton more content since, you know, the game is almost a year old now. But boy, oh boy, this game is just, this game is just so good. I can't believe they managed to take Hot Wheels and make it such a competent, legitimate arcade racer. Not not like arcade racer, like fucking like go to Dave and Buster's and play one of those Sega machines. I mean like a legitimate competent racer, like in, in the vein of like Forza Horizon, where obviously it's a little arcadey, it's a little ridiculous, but... It, it feels legit, like cars, like the cars feel, and they, there's actual a, a difference in each vehicle type and, and each vehicle you use, and, and it, it takes some skill and challenge and understanding of the game to properly learn how to master these tracks, and all the while it is also wacky and zany, and there's, there's speed strips on the, on the tracks, and you have to jump pieces of track and go over a dinosaur who's trying to chomp you because it's a giant fucking Hot Wheels set made in the middle of a college dorm room, and that's that's a, a map in this game, and it's really cool shit like that. I really, really love this game. It's 
a clear example of kind of where we are with with pop culture and nerd culture that you know when we were when we were kids or I, I should speak for myself when I was a kid right we were in a place with these kinds of things where especially think about something like Hot Wheels or something based on like a TV show or a movie it was so much about trying to capture the attention of the children right that you could put out a trashy throwaway whatever Hot Wheels game and I, I have a lot of love for those old Hot Wheels games don't get me wrong but. It was always about trying to capture the imagination of like some seven-year-old boy because that was your target demographic and, and, and trying to be like, well, yeah, well, this game is not necessarily good, but look, there's flames and it's action and it's like Hot Wheels and volcanoes racing and stuff. But now you fast forward to today and a Hot Wheels game can be made by a very serious developer with a very serious budget over a very long period of time and it can ultimately be a great product because now we're not marketing the game towards little boys necessarily obviously we want to get that market when you're making a game like hot wheels but also you know that a lot of your market is 30 year old neck beards with disposable income who grew up collecting hot wheels and now have a nostalgia for the brand and want to play a really competent racing game and i love that we're in that place you know obviously i always bitch and moan on this podcast constantly about the demise of the licensed property games and the movie tying games now we just don't get enough of that anymore but also this new stuff that we do get like you know, like Ar- like Batman Arkham uh, Trilogy or Hot Wheels Unleashed or even like uh, the Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy game we're getting later this year. Obviously, like th- this stuff is really cool. It is cool to get to see these properties that were seen 20 years ago as like cash crab licensed tie-in properties get to be fully fleshed out and given time and money to be made into legitimate serious games that people can play and, and, and give serious critical appreciation to. And that's that dude, that's what Hot Wheels Unleashed does to the Hot Wheels gaming licenses. It it makes Hot Wheels a legitimate racing game that fans of of the of the video game uh, genre should absolutely pay attention to because this game is quite good. And uh I don't know, I I absolutely love it. I adore it. Also picked up that um that Monster Truck DLC. That shit is so good, man. Monster Trucks in Hot Wheels Unleashed, very, very good. So that's uh, another thing I've been playing this week. Guys Next up, I played a, a game. Well, I wanted to play this on Xbox, but I wasn't able to because it is not backwards compatible. See, this is a game you could remake and I wouldn't complain about because it is inaccessible now. But anyway, uh, I played Homefront, the original Homefront for the Xbox 360, but I, I played it on Steam on PC. Now, this is a game that's been on my to-do list for, God, like at least a decade now. It came out in 2011, and it was the second game by developer Chaos Studios was published by Deep Silver, T, you know, THQ, right before, this is right before THQ went under and then got purchased by Deep Silver and uh, the whole thing with Embracer Group, as we know today. Um, but this was, uh, yeah, this was the second game by Developer Chaos Studios, um, who were, my understanding was these were a bunch of guys who were like modders on Battlefield games, and they ended up getting to work on a couple Battlefield games before they, they spun off and got their own. Uh, opportunity to make their own game and they ended up making that game frontline fuel of war which is also a 360 game i think that was like 08 09 somewhere around that time that's a game that is backwards compatible on xbox one and series x and i have it downloaded i just haven't gotten around to it yet but um anyway this game is really fucking cool it is um it's a little bit call of duty and it, it, it feels like playing a call of duty or battlefield game of its era it's a late 2010s or sorry it's a late late aughts, early 2010s 
military shooter. This was that era of Xbox 360 where every game looked grim and dark and serious, and it was boots on the ground, combat in, in, in some war-torn country, and blah, 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 and get your, feet, get your feet on the ground, soldier. You got a job. It was like that kind of shit, right? And I know, like, at the time, we were all so sick and tired of it because everything wanted to be Call of Duty or Gears of War, if you remember those days, but playing this game in 2022 instead of 2011 is actually incredibly refreshing because the response to this era of gaming is the era of gaming we're in now, which is like anything but that, and it's just Fortnite colors throwing up in your face, here's a girl with blue hair, and a dude with a fucking dog attached to his side, but the dog is in a wheelchair and has a rocket launcher, and everyone's on rollerblades, and everyone's got pizza to deliver, and it's fucking Fortnite, and oh my god, there's Drake, and he's doing a concert in the game while you're playing, and it's like, okay, c calm the fuck down, okay? Can someone just be dead or something, like 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 the, like the good old days? And, and, and this game will bring you back to that time period. It is a, it's just a grim, super serious, military military shooter but it's actually quite a fun um synopsis for the game the, the idea is that the idea is that north korea has become a serious threat in the in, you know in the world stage and has launched a nuclear attack in the west and has invaded the u.s and basically enslaved the u.s and and used an emp strike to take out their power and kind of cripple the u.s's uh, military and, and its defense force and it's really cool like you play as this like military ragtag team of Americans trying to, you know, spark a resistance against the North Koreans on your own, on your own territory, you know, fighting for the home front, whatever. It's a fucking cool game. It's a really cool concept. Obviously the story is never like this, the moment to moment storytelling, the characters never become anything like too compelling or, or, or anything that you get too attached to. But the synopsis itself, I think is quite cool. It's really interesting. Uh, I watched a couple of history videos about this about this game, like a behind the scenes videos and history about the development of this game. Apparently, originally the developers wanted it to be about an alternate history where China um, invades the U.S., but the uh, publisher, or I guess THQ or Deep Silver, or whoever, were like, "No, no, 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 we we can't do that. Um, no, nah, we, we that's uh, the no nah, the China the Chinese might not like that. We can't pick a different country." was basically how that went. And then they're like, okay, well, how about North Korea? <laughs> but I, I find that little tidbit of information just like so funny now in hindsight. But anyway, it's a, it's a really fun game. It's a really cool game. It's a short little five-hour campaign. And uh, dude, I just miss games like this. Like the game doesn't look particularly amazing. I mean, I'm sure it looked pretty good by 2011 standards. The game isn't necessarily anything groundbreaking. You know, it's not as good as like the campaign from Modern Warfare 2. It's not as good as like obviously any of the fucking Halo games from around that time period or anything like that, but it's a it's a really competent, really fun military shooter, and it just kind of makes me both a little bit nostalgic for you know what I consider you know my high school years and those formative years for me where it, when the 360 was like all the rage, um, and just to see kind of where we are with gaming, and how it feels like we're we're pretty far from that, you know. Every, any first person shooter you play today is nothing like this. It's definitely some fucking free to play microtransaction ridden rainbow throw up kind of game which is not necessarily a bad thing all the time but it's it's different and in this game was a nice trip down memory lane it felt like a game that was wholly new but also deeply familiar at the same time which was nice and um i'm looking forward to playing the second one i know now the second one was made by dan buster a different development team it was made after thq had been acquired by you know deep silver and the embracer group merger and all all that shit had happened and um it was made by dan buster totally different team 
and it's it has like a near future slant to it. Apparently, the game was critically panned. It was apparently pretty broken when it came out, but over time they fixed it with a lot of updates. So I'm looking forward to giving it a go. That is available on Xbox One, so I'll give it a go on on the Xbox One. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to continue with the franchise and see what else they were able to do with it following the uh, unfortunate demise of Chaos Studios. But uh, yeah, that, that's Homefront, dude. That game, it's quite cool. Next up, I, I decided to take some time this past week to show my my Oculus Quest 2. I'm sorry, my Meta Quest 2. A little bit of love because I haven't really played any VR uh, in a while. And dude, I, I, have the, I have the same relationship with VR that everyone who has a VR headset has. I bought it for a fucking month. I thought, wow, fuck the Xbox, fuck PC gaming. Fuck Nintendo, fuck PlayStation. VR is where it's at. I don't want to play any game that's not in VR for the rest of my life. This is who I am now. I will stand in the middle of my apartment with my boxers on and a stupid headset covering my face for the rest of eternity. I don't care how incredibly unattractive that looks. That is me. That is, that is my identity. That is how I identify forevermore. And then after like four weeks of that, I was like, you know what? Playing VR is pretty damn exhausting. I'm just going to play my Xbox and nothing else. And um, now I'm trying to, you know, you, you got to do that thing. You got to force yourself to use it. It's kind of like the Nintendo Switch. It's like, you know, it's a good platform. You know, it has good games. You know, you enjoy it when you play it, but you really got to push yourself to want to do it. And that's where I am with the Oculus Quest 2. Uh, I, I finally played Vader Immortal. Not all of it. There's like six episodes or something like that. I played the first one um, and I played some VR chat because I always love VR chat. But uh, dude, Vader Mo Immortal, I think is legitimately one of the ultimate ways to introduce people to VR. I know people always say, you know, play Beat Saber, play Job Simulator. And those are great games and great experiences for VR, no doubt. But having finally experienced Vader Immortal... That was exactly the game I needed to play to remind me why I loved VR so much and why I fell in love with it in the first place. That is a very, very cool experience. It is very immersive. It is Vader Immortal is one of the few times where it's like, oh yeah, I actually feel like I'm engaged in like a storytelling experience within VR, which is a huge issue I have with VR. It's so often it's like, this is a cool experience, but once you play it for a long period of time, you find it shallow and then you fall off and you don't really want to continue on with it. Vader Immortal, obviously it's a pretty straightforward, linear, one and done kind of narrative experience, but the quality of that experience, the 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 the, the experience I had with that game, it was so high, I have such a high a high bar that to me it was absolutely worth investing in this game, purchasing it. And I'm I'm excited to get back into it and play some more. I will definitely do that in the next week or two. But dude, Vader Immortal, if you have a head if you have a headset, uh, I, I know it's I think it's on PSVR now. Uh, I know it's obviously on Oculus. Um, I don't know what else it's on, but dude, this is it's good. It's really good shit. I highly recommend Vader Immortal. But the last game I've been playing this week that I, I want to mention or talk talk about, told you guys, I got I'm playing a lot of games this week. It's it's nice. I'm, I'm I'm in a little bit of a honeymoon phase right now with my Xbox and with my my video games. I just want to lay around and and hug my Xbox and tell and tell her how much she means to me. You know. But um, last game I've been playing, a little bit of a surprise for you guys. A little Game Pass indie game. A little Game Pass artsy game. I've been playing Nobody Saves the World. So Nobody Saves the World. This game came out like a month or two ago. Launched into Game Pass day one. I kind of let this one slip me by, but I, I had to rectify that because Nobody Saves the World is a game developed by Drinkbox, which is a Canadian developer who I absolutely adore. These are the guys who created, most famous for, the Guacamelee franchise, uh, which I'm embarrassed to admit, I've never played Guacamelee 2, but Guacamelee 1 was a game I played on Xbox One probably in 2016. Uh, I think it came out in 2014, though. 
And I fell in love with that game. In fact, in fact, hot take. And I love, I love fran- uh, the Metroid franchise on Nintendo. I think Metroid is one of the coolest franchises of all time. I think aesthetically and tonally, Metroid is one of my all-time favorite video game franchises just because I think there's so much potential for cool storytelling in the Metroid universe, even though most Metroid games have pretty weak stories. But still, the character Samus is badass looking, the universe is super cool, and the games are really obviously great. But I think Guacamelee might be my favorite Metroidvania-style game of all time from a gameplay perspective. It's so, so good. Sorry, Super Metroid. I know that's it's sacrilege to say, but I really, truly love guacamelee that much as a game that i'm willing to give it props over a game like super metroid that's how that's how much i recommend that metroidvania experience um they also made they they made many games but i haven't played too much of the catalog um their only other game i played really uh aside from uh, guacamelee one was uh severed which was originally released as a playstation vita exclusive it's like an old well one of those like old dungeon games where i don't even know how you describe that genre where it's like you can literally only go left, right, straight, back. And it's like you go, you know, down the down the dungeon, and then it's like you open this door, and there are enemies, and it's very rudimentary, like A, 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 A combat. And then you back out of that dungeon door, you turn right, and then you go in. You know, I, I don't even know. I'm trying to think what a good game example is of that genre. I can't I can't think of one like a fucking idiot. But it's a really good game. It has their signature artistic style that Drinkbox games have. And the whole combat twist to the game was that you use the touch screen to slash the enemies and there's like certain marks kind of like fruit ninja and you have to like cut in the certain directions to uh defeat the enemies and to attack them and it sounds gimmicky as all hell but the game was really good and it had a cool story but anyway i'm just saying that to 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 preface how much i really admire this developer but nobody saved the world is the latest entry from or the latest game from developer drinkbox uh, I think it's Drinkbox Studios. I don't know. Anyway, but launch day one into Game Pass. So if you're a Game Pass subscriber, you have access to this game. This game is nothing like their previous games that I just described. This game is a top-down, somewhat like Metroidvania, but somewhat like Zelda a little bit, where you know it's a map, and you explore it, and you find items and abilities, and you unlock, and you progress, and you backtrack, and you do this, and you talk to this person, solve light puzzles, combat, whatever, light combat. Mostly, I'd say it's like a Zelda game. And, you know, I played Tunic when that came out recently and said the game is visually awesome. It's a really fun game. They did a great job. I'm not in the mood for this. I don't need a Zelda game right now. For whatever reason, again, this is why I love Drinkbox. They, I don't know what the special sauce is with these guys, but they always find a way to take a, a well-worn genre or a genre that you think that you don't have any interest in going into and then somehow twisting on its head and making it really fun and unique. I'm only an hour into the game already, or so far, of like a 20-hour game, but I can already tell whether I finish it or not. This is a game I'm going to greatly enjoy and continue to play through and try to get as far as I can because, damn, this game is fun. It's fucking cool. The The slant here is that, you know, you're, you're like, you wake up in this village or town where you're from and you don't remember who you are because you have like amnesia or something. And the whole town, like, also thinks that you're responsible for the disappearance of this guy. And so they they banish you and think that you're a kidnapper or something like that. And so you had to, like, rediscover who you are and, you and like, earn your power back and, like, get back to, you know, whatever. Build yourself back up. Typical Metroidvania trope. But use it in a narrative purpose. And in, rather than just unlocking abilities, it's like you unlock different forms of yourself. So, like, you can transform into like an archer or a rat or like or a fucking like um like armored warrior or whatever just like all these different forms of yourself that you can turn into 
and it's really, really cool. Obviously, every kind of character can fit into different spaces, has different combat advantages and disadvantages, has different puzzle and story and, you know, different plot purposes and uses. And so you got to creatively use your different forms and self to, you know, get through the game and do shit. It's really, really cool. So think Zelda with a little bit of a Metroidvania twist and just really interesting drink box shit where the art style is fun and captivating. The mechanical twists are a little creative and, and wacky and it's a it's a good time. I'm I'm a little early in the game to to give too much nuanced opinion on the moment to moment gameplay and mechanics of it all, but I can tell you that first hour of the game flew by and I will definitely be back for more. This game is really compelling, really intriguing. And um, also want to give a shout out to Game Pass because this is a perfect example of the power of Game Pass. Obviously, Game Pass can always or doesn't always have, you know, a Halo Infinite or a, or a um, Starfield to be launching out every now and then. You know, obviously, 2022 is a pretty dry year for Game Pass in general. But, man, Xbox has done a pretty good job of, of curating a really solid list of day one launch exclusive indie games that have really helped make make game pass not only a great service because it gives you plenty of awesome games to play but also continue to make game pass be an excellent tool for discovery and i know that sounds a little bit like i'm feeding into the pr hand of xbox by saying that but i, I genuinely mean it like thanks to game pass i have absolutely played games i would otherwise have never played and it definitely helps open up you know people to new types of games new genres new developers new experiences i definitely think it helps in fighting the stigma of the indie game and how it's a lesser game than you know the triple a game whatever for sure because it, you know it's like you're you're already there man these games are low file sizes easy to download you're already paying for the service you already have access to the games there's a little bit of hype every time one of these comes out so there's a reason you know try why don't you try out Shrek to yumi why why don't you try out Tunic? Why don't you try out Nobody Saves the World? And they just they continuously dole out these games, these perfectly this perfectly curated list of really notable and interesting indie, indie games that continue to just make Game Pass a better platform, highlight a bunch of uh, independent developers, and and turn gamers onto all new types of experiences. And, and you know, like we were saying earlier in the show when we were talking about Naraka, where it's just like. Yeah, man, like, I don't know how many people on Xbox are like, yeah, I need some more Chinese developed games in my life. But it's like, dude, give this game a go. Like, download download this fucking awesome Battle Royale game that is definitely a cut above, in my opinion, 90% of what's out there for the Battle Royale genre. And, and, and have a great time, dude. Support, support some new development talent on the Xbox platform. Try something you have never played before and something that is yet at the same time perfectly at home in the xbox ecosystem and i don't know dude this is game pass is a great service that i just i don't i don't think about it too much it's just one of those things where it's like yeah i need game pass because i don't own halo infinite that's how i play halo you know like whatever i don't know but there are times we have to stop and you think about it you're like oh yeah dude game pass is like really fun i've been having a similar epiphany lately with with disney plus because i've been um unsubscribing to all the excessive um streaming services that i feel like i don't need and so i'm trying to keep it down to like i'm trying to trim the fat right i have netflix because i get it for free every month through my my cell phone provider um so i'll always have netflix as long as that's available and then you know other than that the only two i really care about are hulu and disney plus and so i i, I quite like having more limited options because it forces me to explore the options i do have with greater appreciation and a greater understanding of them um, I've always just kind of been, I don't know, it's kind of why I don't want to buy a PS5 right now. It's because I know the PS5 is a fantastic platform, but not having one allows me to focus more time on the Xbox, understand and appreciate the platform a little more. And so I feel a similar way with Game Pass, you know, having a week to sit down and play my Xbox a little more, a little more religiously 
and, and just have some more time to study kind of what's going on with this platform and what what's different about it right now compared to where it was five years ago, 10 years ago. And th this is it, man. Game Pass and all these really in unique and awesome games. And of course, there will also be the high, the obvious high points, you know, when we do get, you know, the fucking Red, red Falls and, and, um, and Star, Starfields and all that hitting uh, their, their cadence release that we're waiting for uh, hopefully next year. So, I don't know. That's it for what I've been playing, guys. We're getting some bad thunder here. Sorry if you can hear that in the background. But, um, yeah, a really good, strong week of gaming. I, th I think it's nice every now and then to maybe sit down this Xbox-related podcast and aside from just the news, maybe talk about just all the really awesome games that are on the platform. And there's a lot more coming. What is it? The Ask Dust Falls or what is it? Uh, what what is that, dude? That, that game that's about to come out um, on Xbox. Yeah, a as dusk falls is about to come out. Another, it's like a telltale narrative driven but multiplayer type game. Another Game Pass uh, launch exclusive or you know launching into Game Pass type game. I'm excited to give that one a go too. Why not? You know, it's another one of those things where it's like I, I was definitely not going to buy this game for forty bucks. You know, it, if it wasn't in Game Pass. But thanks to Game Pass, eh, I'll, whatever. I'll broaden my horizons and give this one a go. I always want to call it as dusk. <laughs> Ask the Dust, I think is what it's called. There's a there's a book called Ask the Dust, and then there's this game, As Dusk Falls, and I always flip trip the names up when I'm thinking of Whatever, who gives a shit? Anyway, let's move on to the news. Thank you guys for bearing with me and all my stupidity. Hopefully I haven't... I, I don't know. Let me know if you like the overindulgent talking about games I've been playing on a granular detail rather than just focusing more so on the news. I don't know. Uh, otherwise, let's get into the news. Stop wasting your time. I know you guys want to hear about the fact that Xbox just acquired... Trident Gum. Yes, you heard it here first, folks. Shh. Don't let Jez Corden find out. Don't let fucking freaking Tom Henderson or Jeff Grubb or any of these guys. Don't let them find out about it. It's just between you and me, baby. All right. As we mentioned before, it is a slow news week, so there's not too much to get into. And the news stories we have aren't particularly exciting. But listen, we'll make them exciting. This is Xbox on. We can take, we can take, with you know, take a fish and, and you use it to teach a man to eat a fish. Again, sorry if you can hear lightning in the background. Anyway, our first story of the week and the biggest story of the week: Supermassive Games have been acquired. VGC reports the Danish entertainment company Nordisk has fully acquired the Dark Pictures and Until Dawn studio Supermassive Games. Copenhagen, Denmark-based Nordic Games now holds investments in multiple European game companies, including full ownership of Just Cause and Mad Max and Rage 2 developer Avalanche Studios, and part owner of Call of the Sea publisher Raw Fury, and Metroid Samus Returns studio Mercury Steam. Mercury Steam. I think they're from Spain. Anyway, I, I, that's just notable because it's like how many developers are from Spain. That's cool. After taking a 30.7% stake of the company in 2021, Nordisk Games has now acquired the full 100% of Supermassive, the pair announced on Tuesday. Supermassive Games was the ninth addition to the portfolio of Nordisk Games' first investment in the UK. The studio was founded in 2008 by Pete Samuels and Joe Samuels. Since then, it has grown more than 300 developers and won BAFTA awards in 2015, for 2015's Until Dawn, which was a PlayStation 4 exclusive that I have owned for many years and still not played, but heard it is very, very good. Quote, it's been a little over a year since Nordisk Games made an initial investment in Supermassive's, Superma Supermassive Games and our vision for the future, Pete Samuel, CEO of Supermassive Games, said. He continued, during the time we found that we share a lot of important values with, with Mikhail and his team, and we believe these values are equal important to our existing commercial partners who will continue to, we will continue to uh, support. 
Having had such a positive experience over the past year, it's a difficult decision when Nordisk Games wanted to explore increasing their investment. We have an exciting and ambitious growth strategy for Supermassive Games, and Nordisk Games' ownership only enhances that. I'm hugely excited about where this... Uh, where the security offered by this partnership the continue access to the expertise within Nordisk Games will take us, said Pete Samuel, CEO of Supermassive Games. And then finally, Mikkel Weider, 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 CEO of Nordisk Games, added, In the years we've worked alongside Pete and Joe, the whole Supermassive team, it's been clear to us, clear to us the most of talent as well as how much potential there is further develop the kinds of story and narrative driven games they excel at. I'm, in acquiring 100% of the studio, we're able to increase the support of the team and most importantly, continue a great relationship, blah, 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 with them, blah, blah, blah. All right, now I don't remember the story from last year when Nordisk invested 30% into Supermassive. Obviously, I mean, this show's amazing. Of course, we probably touched on it, probably mentioned it, how could we not? But to be honest, I, I don't recall. So. That's interesting that they got acquired because just recently, you know, they released that game, um, The Quarry, which just just came out a few weeks ago. Pretty pretty good commercial success and, and well, some, you know, decent reviews. However, I remember saying, I was like, dude, European team, they keep hitting with these fucking like horror uh, anthology games or these like these horror like story games. This is the perfect get for Embracer Group. Why has Embracer not picked these guys up? And well, this is why. They clearly had someone courting them already, and look, they already, you know, already have thirty percent stake in them. So I'm not entirely surprised uh, to see that, you know, following the reminder that thirty percent uh, was already invested in from Nordisk, that they've fully, you know, continued on and gotten the hundred percent. Now I guess the question becomes, why these guys? So I obviously, as American, I'm not super familiar with Nordisk, uh, who they are. So I, I did a little bit of research. Um, they're a subsidiary of a film company, Nordisk Film, which is the oldest film studio that has consistently put out work since their foundation, which was in 1906. And they are, they are, um, they're based out of Copenhagen, Danish entertainment company. And they, are, they themselves, as the film company, are another subsidiary of a bigger entertainment group that works a lot in like book publishing and things like that. So that's just a little bit of background as to who it is that invested in Supermassive and acquired them. So obviously there's no doubt that this is a little bit of a unique acquisition, a little bit of an outsider jumping in thing. So that's something worth noting. Now, obviously the biggest parallel I think we can draw here or, or similarity uh, among the game industry of, of like-minded acquisitions uh, or foundations like game teams owned by parent companies that are a little unusual for the games industry, I guess we'll say, would be like Annapurna Interactive because Annapurna, the film studio, similar thing. They now have their interactive arm, their game development arm. Also, this week, this is kind of um, this is kind of coincidental, but um, but I was also just earlier this week looking at Skydance Media, um, which is another that well, that's an America American production company, film company, and I was looking at them because they recently started an animation division that a lot of ex Pixar people are working at. And um, so I was paying attention to them because I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm cautiously optimistic about some of their animation output coming out soon. And I was reminded in doing my research on Skydance that, okay, so their film studio, they have an interact, they have, or sorry, they have an animation department. Now they have another team that does interactive entertainment. And so they have Skydance, what do they call them? Skydance Interactive. Now they work specifically on VR games. They're, they're most known for their really popular VR title, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, which recently got announced for a sequel. So that's, that's a pretty popular game, pretty well-known game. But the trend here I'm, a point, I'm pointing to is there seems to be this, this growing trend where these film studios are starting to get 
invested in gaming and have a gaming wing. So we got Skydance, they have a gaming wing. We got Annapurna, they have one. And now and now Nordisk Games has one with Supermassive. Or well they've had one because as as we mentioned earlier, they've been acquired they've been acquiring and investing in games. They have Avalanche Studios, which I would argue is a bigger uh, you know a bigger um get. So this is a trend we're continuing to see and in, in this continued other trend we're seeing where games the, the games industry is massively consolidating and everyone's trying to gobble up all the talent and all the all the the pieces of the puzzle um or the pieces of the pie rather we're, we're seeing this untraditional group of of actors and characters starting to get involved in in acquiring things within the games space um obviously the talent is going fast and everyone wants you know a little something so now we're seeing even outsiders like film studios start to be like okay well let's look around the games industry see maybe if there's something we want something that you know for sale that maybe we can get our hands on before you know it becomes like the u.s housing market in a fucking run down 700 square foot single family home in the middle of nowhere uh suddenly costs 1.3 billion dollars but anyway so I, I i assume that has something to do with it it is this diversify your portfolio a lot of film studios you know, got have been getting bit, especially since COVID. With, you know, the game, the the movie, the film industry is, is kind of being shaken a little bit. Everything's moving to streaming platforms. Um, it's about getting deals with the streaming outlets to try to get a deal to get one of your films on them. And theaters, you know, for a long time were really hurting, and now they're kind of back. And and some movies are doing really really well, and some movies just aren't really coming back with a, with the theater crowd. So it's just it's kind of a weird time for movies, and it's it's another one of those things where. You know, the pandemic, the events of the pandemic really shook up for a lot of industries how these people view their what have have been traditionally viewed as stable, stable industries. Right. Uh, it's like real estate. It's just one of those things where it's like, OK, everything's shaken up. We got to go fucking throw our money somewhere else and fuck everything up to try and keep ourselves stable. And so I wonder if in particular with film studios and, and media companies, if there's this 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 push now to be like, huh, we really ought to be in video games because that's a form of entertainment that stayed really, really successful and really steady during, uh, during the events of the pandemic. And I mean, you look at a company like Nordisk and it's like, it actually makes perfect sense. They, they, their longest running arm is, 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 is in book publishing and they've been in film for so, so long now, well over a hundred years that it's like, yeah, why the fuck wouldn't you be in video games? It's a natural evolution to go from books to movies and then now to video games. So it all makes perfect sense for them, and I can see on a larger scale why others might do this. This might even be part of why you guys remember the story last year where Warner Bros. was um, Warner Bros. was p- rumored to be looking to sell, and Microsoft was a potential suitor, and all that. And then ultimately they decided, you know what? Let's let's not do that. Let's hang on to our gaming division. And now I know we've heard rumors since then again of them being like, ah, oh, we might sell certain IP off, but. You know, this might be why Warner Bros. decided to stay in is because I, I like obviously we knew they wanted to offset some debt. That was what the reports were. But gaming is so, so lucrative. I know it's a huge investment up front because they're these massively expensive projects that you got to sink many years into before you get your return on investment. Um, that's why pre-order culture is so big. That's why games as a service culture and microtransactions are so big is because they want steady streams of income and not just these big dry spells of invest, 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 sell, invest, 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 sell product, you know. Um, so I, I wonder if that's what this is, that we're starting to see this growing trend of studios want to get it. Listen, I hope that's the case. Fuck you, Disney. I just want to throw in as a side note because all these movie studios trying to get in games. Meanwhile, Disney five years ago was like, now nah, we out and, and they sell their fucking gaming division because they suck 
and because they hate happiness and because Disney Infinity is over and I'm still not, I, even though that is over, I'm not over it being over. You know what I mean? So that is a whole thing that I'm still emotionally torn over, but it seems like that's a trend we're seeing here. So let's try to hone in a little more on Nordisk. Why Supermassive? I don't know. This is weird because you look at the other teams uh, they've invested in or acquired and they're extraordinarily gameplay focused teams. I think about, you think about Avalanche Studios, you think about like Just Cause or Rage 2. Like these games are nothing but gameplay oriented games. These games scream gameplay from top to bottom. You look at, you know, Mercury Steam, they've, they made Metroid games. They also made, I think, a Castlevania game or two. Very gameplay focused games. So to acquire a team that is incredibly narrative driven, story driven, cinematic, experience driven, it draws a lot of parallel with Nordic's ex expertise in film. But it it, uh, it doesn't really fit the suit of other studio, the stable of other studios that they have um, under their under their reign with Raw Fury and the rest. Um, so I think that is also a notable thing. Um, obviously, maybe just an attempt to diversify, but also maybe this is one of those kind of like when Bungie was acquired by Sony earlier this year, where it's like we're not just buying you guys because you guys can make games and sell games and we can make money off that, but also because we think you guys are a good case study kind of studio where we can analyze your ability to merge movie-like storytelling into an interactive medium like video games because you look at what Supermassive does with the Dark Pictures anthology and with The Quarry and with Until Dawn and it's exactly that. It's like these Telltale Games style movies that you play with quick time events and decision making and interactive elements but it's also very cinematic, very narrative driven, very movie like and maybe there's this push or desire or interest as we continue to see the films industry take more of an eye towards gaming and Netflix want to get into gaming and all these things where it's like well, clearly gaming is here to stay. Clearly it is a very, very important form of interactive entertainment or, or entertainment or media in general. What is this relationship between gaming and movies and what can we draw out of that? And you almost wonder if maybe there's an attempt to tap into that and maybe study that more um, because there's potential there. You know, Movies can learn a lot from gaming and gaming can, has definitely learned a lot from movies. And and I think, I think interactive storytelling is is something that is largely not, I don't want to say unexplored, but it's still largely in an infancy stage. And that conversation I think is so maybe a little too general, but can be had in any kind of video game related conversation. We can have that talk, especially if we're talking about VR, you can have that talk when we talk about games, you know, we talk about earlier in the episode, how Red Dead Redemption 2, probably the best story ever told in the video game. Yeah, because video games typically and historically don't have the best storytelling. And there's just so much room for exploration that it'd be interesting, you know, to think and to d deduct from a story like this that maybe film studios are starting to understand that as well. And maybe they want to kind of be a part of that in, in there on ground zero, figuring out what is this relationship between gaming and movies and how can we be a part of this, 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 uh, this movement. So I don't know that I have much else to add to this. Um, obviously, congrats to the guys at Supermassive. Hopefully, this offers them a lot more financial stability, um, job stability, and hopefully, a lot of people at, at Supermassive made out quite wealthy and are far better off now than they were before the acquisition. So, you know, congrats to them. And uh, obviously, something pretty noteworthy as the industry continues to get just a little bit smaller. But hey, at least it wasn't like Tencent or someone bought them. So, whatever. All right, next up. Respawn Entertainment. Let's talk about one of the best developers that's uh, not making fucking painful. All right. 
VGC Relays, Jedi Fallen Order, and Titanfall Studio Respawn Entertainment are working on a new single-player FPS game set in the Apex Legends universe. Job ads have revealed. As spotted by Nextero, job listings for Respawn's Apex Universe FPS incubation project, end quote. Whew. The listings appear describing the in-development game as a brand new Respawn single-player adventure. So we knew that we were getting more Apex-esque titles, we just didn't know. Respawn single-player adventure. Hmm. It looks like maybe uh, when Titanfall 3 got canceled or, or developed and then never released, maybe some of those ideas got reshuffled, maybe? Anyway, this new single-player title is a developer's dream playground with the freedom to innovate and made possible by the unique universe and habits. The job description reads, one of the job descriptions read, quote, it's, sorry, it's unclear if the project is related to the unannounced single-player project Respawn is com confirmed to be working on last year, and according to GamesBeat reporter earlier this year, the title is a first-person shooter being built around the gu guiding principles of mobility and style, but it is not a Titanfall sequel, so this fits a lot of those descriptions and reports. Job ads previously built it as a designer's dream playground with freedom to innovate in possible unique universe. In January it was revealed that the unannounced game's former creative director, Mohamed Alavi had left Respawn. He was previously a senior designer for the Titanfall series and a narrative di design director for Apex Legends and also a design iconic design iconic Call of Duty missions including All Gillied Up while he was at Infinity Ward. Of course, as many of you know, Respawn are a bunch of ex-Infinity War people. They took the best of Infinity Ward, left Activision, and made Titanfall, which is better than Call of Duty, which is why God said no more Titanfall. Respawn's parent company, Electronic Arts. Can you believe they wrote that in the article? I didn't, I didn't improvise with that. Respawn's parent company, Electronic Arts, also announced this year that the studio is working on three Star Wars projects. We know one of them is the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order, which we just found out was called, and I already forget the name, it's called Jedi something. I don't know. I forget what it was called. It's called like Jedi, Jedi Stolen or something like that. I don't remember. There's also a um, rumored uh, XCOM-style Star Wars game with a bunch of X XCOM people and NXL people. I don't remember. And then there's a third Star Wars project, which we don't know about yet, um, which is I don't know, apparently a first-person shooter um, Star Wars title, a little more like Apex Legend or like Titanfall or Call of Duty, but for Star Wars, which has been rumored for a while, which is the most exciting uh, Star Wars prospect we could have would be like a Call of Duty Star Wars respawn developed project. Fuck, that'd be cool. But whatever, we don't know yet. Anyway. All of that aside, let's talk about this job listing here. Let's talk about Titanfall. Let's talk about Apex Legends. This sounds to me like all the work they did on Titanfall 3 was not for nothing because they're able to maybe refocus a lot of those ideas and inspirations and efforts into making a new Titanfall game or making a new Apex Legends game. The the thing I cannot get over, because when Apex Legends was announced, was still at the height of my Titanfall is awesome, fuck yeah, tattooed on my chest kind of phase. And I will always remember, because I was there the fucking day. Well, I wasn't there in person. I was there in, in, in a Starbucks coffee doing homework on my laptop watching watching the live stream when they announced Apex Legends. And they kept saying, it is a Battle Royale game set in the Titanfall universe. Again, it is a Battle Royale game set in the Titanfall universe. And even when they announced it, people were like, that's fucking dumb. There are no Titans and there's no wall running. And they're like, we tried to put wall running into Apex Legends during development. It didn't fucking make sense. It didn't work. It broke the fucking game. That's why there's no wall running. But obviously there is a lot of Titanfall DNA in Apex Legends. You can fucking tell, especially not only just because some of the art style 
lifestyles, some of the uh, enemy types and things like that, and the equipment and references, but also because of, like the sliding mechanics and the mobility feels very Titanfall, despite the fact that yes, you cannot run on walls. So yes, you can feel and see a lot of Titanfall influence, especially on early Apex Legends, but here's the thing. Apex Legends has gone on to be so much bigger than Titanfall ever was, unfortunately, because Titanfall is so fucking beautiful, it deserved more. That, and, and, I should say, Apex Legends has also gone on to evolve so far beyond what it was initially, especially with its character roster and its insane, its insanity with its just fucking seasonal content storytelling and just what it looks and plays like now, that... I feel like everyone's just forgot Respawn including, or maybe they're just hoping people have forgotten. It's like, yo, this was supposedly some Titanfall universe game. And now they're just like, oh yeah, we're making a uh, Apex Legends video game. It's set in a unique Apex Legends universe. It's like, wait a minute, is, is this Titanfall or not? <laughs> because the rumor is, well, it's not in the Titanfall universe. And so what I'm guessing is they're basically, I, I feel like because of the success of Apex Legends, the way it's basically being looked at from Team Respawn is like, no, 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 no. Apex Legends is not in the Titanfall universe. Titanfall is in the Apex Legends universe. And so this this game probably is an Apex Legends game. And let's let's just go with that from the re reporting. That's We've got an Apex Legends game on our hands. Listen, this is the next best thing. I, I don't begrudge Apex Legends. I'm not going to be one of those people that hates it just because it did well and Titanfall didn't. You know, I think Apex Legends is a very good game. And I'm really glad that... EA and Respawn have gotten the success they have with it because it has allowed Respawn to get a lot more respect and notoriety among among the industry, and it has allowed EA to keep Respawn on their good side so they don't shutter Respawn like they did with all their other fucking studios. I'm looking at you, Pandemic. I miss you. So I, I all in all, I'm glad that I'm really glad that Apex Legends has been as successful as it's been. That said, I <laughs> Dude, I, I, we need to see Titanfall live on. I will not stop beating this drum. I will be that annoying person for as long as I need to be because Titanfall was too good to let go. And so, yeah, I don't care if you call it Apex Legends. I don't care if it doesn't have Titans. I don't care if it's a little bit different. As long as you can kind of make it like the most Titanfall 3 you can possibly make it while still being a respawn or a, 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 a Apex Legends game... I'm for it. I'm I'm with it. I'm good. I'm good for it. But like, please, for the love of Christ Almighty, let this be the spiritual successor to Titanfall three or to Titanfall two, I guess. Um, because God Almighty, that dude, have you played Titanfall two? It's uh, God. The campaign's so good, man. What's wrong with you guys? Where were you? What you were all gonna fucking play Battlefield one that year? Listen, Battlefield one was good. Such an overhyped game. It was good. It was good. I have nothing bad to say about it. It was a good game. Where were you when Titanfall 2 needed you? All right, let's talk about E3. VGC reports that ReadPop, the events company behind PAX, EGX, and Star Wars Celebration, New York Comic Con, will officially take over the running of E3. The ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, announced the news this past week, recent confirmation that the flagship show will return in 2023 in person for the first time in four years. As well as running the high-profile event in the U.S. and Europe, ReadPop is the owner of Gaming Network, which runs websites as Eurogamer and GamesIndustry.biz, VG247, and Rock Paper Shotgun, and is in the network partner of VGC. Commenting on the news, ReadPop said E3 2023 would welcome back publishers, developers, journalists, content creators, manufacturers, buyers, and licensors, and also high detail showcase and feature in-person consumer components. Sounds a lot like the E3 that we were getting that was reworked for 2020 before everything got shut down. It's claimed that it listened to feedback in the gaming community and would honor what it always worked, uh, what always worked about the game's event and reshaping what didn't. 
Kyle Madsen, Kish, Reed Pops, Global VP of Gaming, who will lead the newly formed E3 team, says, For years we've listened hard and studied the global gaming community's feedback. E3 2023 will be recognized as epic, a return to form uh, that honors what, what has always worked, blah, 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 blah. The event before the pandemic forced E3 into a hiatus, the ESA was already facing significant pressure to reinvent the show with several major publishers, including EA, Sony and Activision abandoning the events in the re- in the years following up, and that was before the cancellation urged companies such as EA, Ubisoft to enjoy the success of running their own digital events, which would happen near and around E3, but not at E3. A notable co- competitor also emerged during E3 in the form of Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest. The show's first in-person event was last month, and will return again next year, no doubt, due to its popularity. We already know he's working on his next show, and we'll see him back in the Game Awards this December. A notable competitor, oh, oh sorry, the company's head of B2B, Business to Business, Christopher Dring, who's also been involved in discussions around the future of the show, claimed the company in, in sorry claimed the company intended to embrace, quote, everything that takes place during E3 week. And this is his long quote as the story rounds out. He says, We dreamed up ways we could always make the event more of a celebration and less of a battleground. They had thought about it, and we discussed ways to embrace everything that takes place during E3, whether it's part of the show floor or not. And that includes things like the PC Gamer Show, the Devolver Digital Cars Park, and yes, Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest. Because to those watching at home, all of it is E3. To most people, the event isn't Toon Hall in downtown LA, but the showcase, the reveals, the video games. E3 is more than an expo. It's an idea. It's the biggest, uh, it's bigger rather than Read Pop than e- Read Pop and the ESA. I'm sorry, I can't read for shit. There's no use for fighting against it. The desire to unite the industry, in, irrespective of whatever show they're a part of or not, extends around the world too. E3 is already a global event, and we want to take it further. Some of the ideas are too ambitious to pull off in one year, but we can certainly give it a try. So at first I was going to put this in like the top of the show and be like, ah, oh, important enough to make the news, not important enough. But then I realized it was this it was this last quote that was like, huh, obviously this is a bunch of fluff. It's a bunch of high pr- promise or, or lofty goal setting without really any substance to back it up. But I do want to just say I've been critical of the ESA. I've been critical of E3. I kind after a couple years of not having E3 and seeing how things have worked under the the era of it's a free for all everyone announce your event whatever the fuck you want and do it whatever you want whenever you want I kind of yearned for some for some more um, structure and formality to the summer game showcase conglomerate mess that we've been getting and I feel like this quote kind of touches on those concerns and it has a very like it has a very like xbox kind of um let's do crossplay attitude to it you know it's like mm, rather than competing with summer games fest and competing with ea doing their own event and sony doing their own event all these things why don't we just find a way to be like yo you guys are all going to do your thing whether you like it or not is there a way we can all work together and make this all kind of part of one big event and that way you have your creative freedom and your free reign and also we're able to do our things now I guess what confuses me about this is he, they kind of touch on, and he says maybe this wouldn't all get done in a year, but you know, these are the goals or ideas and we would certainly give it a try. When a company like EA decides, and for those who need a refresher, EA bounced out of E3 years ago. 
And what they do is they do their own EA Play event that is literally across the street from where E3 happens in Los Angeles every every summer. It's a different theater that they rent out every summer. It's right across the street from from E3. And they do their event generally the like the day before E3 properly kicks off. So yes, IGN and all the gaming outlets cover EA's event like it's just part of E3. But technically, it's like this little pre-show that happens separate from E3 across the street a day before. Sony bounced from E3 a while back ago, and Ubisoft did as well. And more and more companies have been bowing out Activision. So what's important to note here is when... When you decide to not be a part of E3, you don't have to be a part of the ESA. You don't have to pay the exorbitant dues and fees to be a part of that. So for EA to decide to do their own event separate from E3 across the street at a different venue might even ultimately be a more affordable option for them than to just pay the fees to be at E3 and to have a proper stage presence at E3 like they were doing before they had their own event, you know? And so... To now tell these people, it's like, yeah, we want to allow you to have your continued creative freedom and you don't have to pay the ESA to be a part of the event, but we want to include you and have you be a part of E3. Well, what does that do for the companies like Microsoft and Devolver Digital, etc., who do continue to participate in E3 or at least did until it stopped for a while because of the pandemic? Because now it's like, well, if you're Microsoft, you might be like, well, fuck, why are we paying so much to be a part of the ESA when like we don't we don't want to be you know we don't want to fucking we can just do our own event and still be considered part of e3 you know so it's like what real incentive does it have and i do understand a lot of these companies like sony and microsoft are part of the esa anyway because the esa does a lot more than just e3 they're the governing body that runs the esrb and which is the ratings board and they're kind of the self-governing board that maintains the video game industry so that the the in the u.s at least the government fucks off and doesn't interfere too much with the games industry and so that's kind of the whole purpose of that. So either way, these companies are pouring money into the ESA and being a part of it. So it's not like they're just either giving nothing to E3 or everything. But I do find that quite interesting that it's like, why would anyone want the flexibility or want to be tied to E3 specifically if they could still be a part of E3 while also not necessarily being part of E3? Does that make sense? Continuing on with that train of thought, this also seems like maybe what it is, is now that we've had a couple of years without E3, Read Pop knows and the ESA knows there's no way to reel it all back in. There's no way to be like, okay, that was nice. Everyone did their own showcase event for a couple summers while E3 took a break. Now it's time for everyone to come back, come back. Let's do E3. You can't necessarily command that to all fall back into place again. So I wonder if this is more them understanding that, you know, E3 was gone for a few years and now they are at the mercy and the will of the industry rather than everyone being at their mercy and will. The tables have turned. And if this is their way of being like, listen, we got to meet these companies where they're at because we can't expect them to all be waiting for us. Because think about it. They've all experienced success without us. You know, the, the Xbox and Bethesda Summer Game Showcase happened this year with or without E3. And it happened without E3. And we know it was just fine. It was successful. Many, many people watched it. it the news got across. Eyeballs were glued to Microsoft for the, for the day when that happened, you know. So ESA and ReadPop know this. And so they can't go around expecting these people to come back to them where it's like they, they don't need us. Everyone can can do a Nintendo Direct style event now. There's no need for one one body to unite it all and, and, and kind of coordinate a, a specific event for everyone else. Now everyone can pick and choose what time they want to go as they please and kind of have it their way, you know? And so that's that's a whole other element to it. But smart for them to acknowledge the whole point that 
listen, E3 is traditionally, historically, an event for for media and for investors. It's for it's for you know retail invest for investors and retail companies and partners to go to this event and see the games that are coming and be like, oh, this game looks promising and big. You know, Walmart wants to order X amount of copies of this game to sell in its stores this fall season. And oh, Best Buy really wants to invest in the Connect. We think it's going to be huge. Order 2 billion of them, please, and thank you. You know, and for IGN and GameSpot and Kotaku to run around and be like, hey, hey, I'm sweating my ass off, but we're here talking with the developer about a game you probably don't even give a shit about. What do you have to say about your game? You know, and handing them the microphone. To us, to the 99%, who aren't at E3, who don't work in the industry, who are just fans of games, E3 is just like, oh yeah, we, we turn on the fucking computer or the TV and it's like, we're talking about all the video games for a week. It's awesome. And so trying to tailor your event more to that audience understanding that rather than doing the sh- shit the ESA was talking about, you know, in 2019 before before everything happened, where they're like, yeah, we're going to make it more of a fan event. We're going inve- in, to invite influencers to come out, and we're going to invite fans and sell tickets to fans so it will be like packs, and we'll have cool games and fucking events for them to check out. And it's like, no, no one gives a shit about that, man. We just care about the announcements. We just want to see a fucking guy get up on stage and shake his hands with a little ball of yarn like when Yarnu was revealed, you know? We want to see fucking Keanu Reeves jump up and talk about a game that's going to ultimately review bomb, get review bombed by a bunch of fucking dudes who live in their mom's basement. Like, that's what we're here for, okay? And so it sounds like Reed Pop is saying all the right things. And it sounds like they have their mind in the right place about what needs to happen. I am just dubious of and in, 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 in concerned that they might not have or be able to command the power to get all the publishers in place to be like, yeah, we'll play. We'll, we'll do this. We'll, we'll make Summer Game Fest and Xbox and Ubisoft and EA and Sony and everyone all a part of E3. Even if we're doing our own events, we'll call it E3. Because one thing I do desperately miss from the past few years, the way we've done these summer events is I miss the structure. I miss knowing that E3 was going to be like these two or three days of events where I could request off work and be like, okay, for the next three days, I'm in, I'm, I'm at home, I'm watching TV, and I'm following all the news. I'm getting ready. But now it's not like that. Now it's like, okay, uh, Xbox is doing an event in early June, kind of like they used to when E3 was around. And then, okay, Summer Game Fest is like a week before that. And then Ubisoft has something in September and PlayStation. I don't know what they're doing. Are they going to have an event? When is that going to be? Oh, look, Nintendo has another Nintendo Direct. Ah, no, it's just one of the ones where they talk about um, Fire Emblem. It's just another Fire Emblem thing. Forget about that. No one cares about Fire Emblem. Okay. You know, it's just so confusing. You got to constantly have your direction and your attention pulled all the time a a million different ways. And it's just, it's not, there's no fluidity. There's no structure to it. So from a, a fan standpoint, I feel like it's almost become more of a mess in this uncontrolled freedom we have. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. and I don't know how this looks. It, it'll be interesting to see what kind of attention and hype and, and structure Reed Pop can really ultimately command and and and, um, and conduct here. But I, I got to be honest, despite my criticism I've had of, of E3 over the years, I welcome a little bit more of that old school structure again to be able to just know these are the specific days where all the major players are going to have their events and I can sit down, order some pizza, crack open an ice cold dew 
and 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 watch Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo and EA and Ubisoft and obviously roll my eyes and yawn because it's like oh my god EA is really just talking about football again oh my god Ubisoft's really just talking about Just Dance again holy shit but you know it's still fun it's fun and uh, I miss the, I miss that event atmosphere that surrounded it and it sounds like they want to go for that again so we'll we'll see man and then our last story of the week this is a kind of a wrap up not much to add here but the MPD group as relayed by VGC the MPD group has tipped that Elden Ring sorry has tipped Elden Ring to end 2022 as the best-selling title in the U.S. market. This is interesting. The NPD analyst Matt Piscatelli made a prediction in a blog reflecting on games industry sales in the first half of the year, looking forward to the remaining six months of the year. Quote, Elden Ring will finish as 2022's best-selling premium game in the U.S. markets, making only the third time since 2009 that Call of Duty franchise release not lead, that a Call of Duty franchise release does not lead the market, he wrote. Elden Ring released on February 25th has already shipped 13.4 million units worldwide as of March 31st, so we can expect they're well past that number now, according to publisher Bandai Namco. In April, NPD said Elden Ring had overtaken Call of Duty Vanguard to become the best-selling game of the past 12 months in the U.S. Piscatelli predicts that the year's top-selling games in the U.S. in alphabetical order will be Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Gotham Knights, Horizon Forbidden West, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, Madden NFL 23, NBA 2K23, Pokemon Legends Arceus, and Pokemon Scarlet slash Violet. Despite, he said, quote, despite Elden Ring's leading the individual title charts, Call of Duty will remain the U.S. market's best-selling premium gaming franchise for the 14th consecutive year, he forecasted. Overall, U.S. consumer spending on video game hardware and content for the year had reached $55.5 billion, a decline of 8.7% compared to last year. And we knew we had to, with the decline, we knew, we knew that was going to happen a little bit now that people are mostly all back to normal. Um, and, and we're not all stuck at home with nothing to do other than take on new hobbies and play video games. So that's it's it's down 8%, but not like an alarming 8%. Also, it's kind of a slower year for the industry, so I think people are, are a little less excited and ecstatic about their their gaming hardware right now. Okay, so this is a high pr- this is a high prediction because Call of Duty always takes the top spot for obviously for a game like Elden Ring to surpass a game like Call of Duty would be incredibly impressive. Um, considering that considering that Call of Duty has insane, massive mainstream appeal. And a game like Elden Ring, at least historically, would be a little more niche. It's a very hardcore game. It's a very challenging game. It's not very welcoming to lots of most newcomers, most casual gamers. However, this game has just managed to take the world by storm. And with, you know, being with it being on sale for nearly 11 months of the year versus Modern Warfare 2, we'll have about two months of the year on sale obviously gives it the opportunity to to be the best-selling title however still that's that's insane especially considering this year's call of duty is no doubt going to be one of the most successful call of duties in history possibly the most the most successful call of duty in history because modern warfare 2019 the game that this is a sequel to a direct sequel to is already considered the best-selling call of duty of all time so stands to reason that this game could be the game to surpass it so I don't know. That plus Call of Duty is coming out in a pretty dry time or in a really dry year, rather, um, where there's not much else. It's really Gotham Knights is the other big fall game that could really contend with this game, but obviously will not will not surpass Call of Duty. I don't know. For Elden Ring to have the potential, at least in the market's eyes, to surpass Call of Duty is insane. And I think it just goes to show, like, you know, we sit here and we talk about the games industry as fans and we and we conjecture about 
and postulate about what we think is going to do well, what we think is good, what we think, what we do and don't like, and we try to understand the trends in the industry. Did anybody think Elden Ring was going to be this big? Like, obviously, we all thought it was going to do well. From Software games do well. They they review really well. They have a really dedicated fan base. They always sell pretty solid. Like, I expected Elden Ring to be a success com commercially and critically. I did not expect Elden Ring to be a game that like fucking my manager at work would ask me about and that like all my coworkers would just be talking about and that I'd open up fucking Twitter and it's just like, oh, we're talking about Elden Ring again. Well, at least it's not fucking politics, I guess. God damn it. And it's it, the game took the world by storm. It's just one of those water cooler games, one of those water cooler moments in, in gaming history. And honestly, I think the beginning of 2022 will always be remembered um, in, in the games industry and in gaming for the massive waves that were brought in by Elden Ring. But man, just to think that it could it could possibly topple Call of Duty, even considering all the all the conditions, that is insane. It, and I'm really curious to continue to follow MPD numbers throughout the rest of this year and see. I mean, I always love reading MPD numbers. I think it's very fascinating. But especially this year to see what that battle between Modern Warfare 2 and an Elden Ring looks like because holy fuck, dude. Modern Warfare 2 is going to be a massive force to reckon with. So Elden Ring, if you can do it, I'll finally play you. Nah, I'll play Elden Ring. I'm just waiting for it to get cheaper. All right, that's it for our news this week, guys. Let's wrap up with the important enough stories, important enough to, uh, to make the podcast, but not big enough to warrant their own discussion. Whatever. How did we end up making this podcast as long as it's been? VGC relays that Psychonauts 2 is getting a physical retail release later this year following a leak via Amazon. Also, VGC reports that the president of Blizzard has stated that the company aims to bring back BlizzCon next year in 23, saying the annual gaming convention designed to celebrate Blizzard's games hasn't, hasn't had a live in-person event since 2019, but Blizzard head Mikey Barra has told the LA Times that he plans that plans are underway to bring it back. So, there we go. And finally, VGC reports that former Team Ninja boss Tomonobu Itagaki has announced his new studio is making an NFT game called Warrior. Ooh. Now we have Japanese developers getting in on the NFT scam. That's unfortunate. I don't know. You always just assume. It's like, ah, oh, usually Japanese games. Maybe it's just because Nintendo and Sony have kind of brought in this, this reputation, but you always just kind of assume that the, the Japanese developers usually put a little more, a little more thought and a little more care into respecting their audience and not doing like these typically Western associated, typically American associated more cash grabby, disrespect your audience kind of moves like uh, putting NFTs in the game. But shame on me. Here, here no, here, here goes, uh, here goes, Mr. Itagaki's uh, attempt to release NFT game. Of course, best known for creating Tecmo's Dead or Alive series and reviving Ninja Gaiden. Now he's now he's back. He's he's back with a new game studio called Apex Game Studios, and they're focused on an immersive 3A Web 3.0 game. Whatever the fuck that means. Apex. Game Studios currently has 100 employees. It's based mainly in Japan and Singapore. Its debut project is Warrior, an NFT game for mobile and PC built on Unreal Engine. Just wanted to throw that out there just because, lol. All right. Now that's going to do it for all of, um, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Guys, let's take it down a peg and chill out, calm down for the week. A couple comments, shout outs from YouTube.com. You know how it works, guys. You want to leave a comment on Xbox On? Go to YouTube.com slash Xbox On Podcast and you leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast, you can say something nice like Jesse. Really appreciate that the new microphone makes you sound a whole lot like Morgan Freeman. It's a nice change of pace and it makes the podcast entirely more audible. So props to you and keep up the good work. 
Or you can leave a really mean comment like, hey, Jesse, your last microphone broke. You should have left it broken because no one wants to hear you or your shitty podcast. I only come here with the hopes that I'll get an hour and a half of white noise and that will be it. And to which I will say, ha, ha, ha. White noise was my was was the name of my <laughs> white noise was white noise is my DJ name. <laughs> oh man, white noise is a really good DJ name. Okay, anyway, uh, no one wrote that in th- this week. You guys are nice. No one called me white noise, but uh, let's read some comments. Acting Basher wrote in. He's got two for us right now. He goes finally decided to comment in again. I definitely played Halo. Or sorry, I definitely played Diablo three. That's how much I love Halo three. I see the I see the number three, and I immediately assume everyone's talking about Halo three. Uh, fi- I definitely played ha- Diablo three in anticipation for Diablo four, which is going to be a great game. Talking about playing games in anticipation, I'm about 17 hours into the RPG Pillars of Eternity by Obsidian, since Avowed will be set in that universe. Great show, as always. Look at that. Acting Basher. Someone out here defending Diablo's honor, looking out for Diablo in their time of need while we all sit here and shit-talk them, but he's got their backs. Now... Cronky responded to Acting Basher and said, Bro, comment more often. It sounds like you're tasting games as a breath of fresh air around here. Is that a dig at my love for Sonic Unleashed, Cronky? To which Acting Basher says, Definitely. I will. Even call, I'll even call out anyone here who hasn't played a beat of Plague Tale, one of my favorite games in years, and the next one is releasing this October. And this is why we're reading Acting Basher's comment, because Acting Basher, I have not played Plague Tale. I have meant... Well, I meant to play Plague Tale for a very long time. I know it's in Game Pass. I know it's really, really good. I know it's captivating and you should play it. And I just haven't gotten around to it. I don't know. Please do me a favor and bully the hell out of me because maybe this will make me finally play it. But I, I need to get to this game. I, I have not played Plague Tale. What do you say to that? But you also rounded out by saying, oh, off, talk, off your topic of remakes. All I really want is a Fable Trilogy remake so I can experience it once more. Before the new one releases, remake them with modern controls. Is that that's what it needs most? Well, I can't speak to Fable because I've only played the first one and it's been a very long time. But my eh, my my uh, my remembrance of Fable is that it's fine. There's the anniversary edition. They're all backwards compatible. But I mean, if you say it's janky control wise, I guess so. Whatever. I'll take your word for it. But like we said earlier, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe focus a little more on the uh, new content. Maybe. Cronky. Speaking of Cronky, he writes and says, "I think Halo Infinite is designed to trick you. Every time when I come back to it, my first match is super fun. I'm like, wow, can't wait to keep playing. And then the rest of the night, I'm getting my my teeth smashed by sweaty teens. And then Wade Lau says, I wish I was a sweaty teen. That's a little uh, not suitable for work, don't you think, Wade Lau? Well, Wade Lau also wrote in with his own separate comment, and he said, Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is doing well during these trying and sweaty times. I hope your families are had, a, had a good time this last 4th of July and remain safe, guys. I know the pain of getting destroyed online in games like Call of Duty and Halo Infinite. That's the reason I play games and I get my ass kicked by complex computer programs the, like Monster Hunter or Dark Souls. It's way easier on the ego since I'm, the, I'm a middle-aged, I'm middle-aged and balding. I have to say... And my apologies for anyone that, that this offends. I feel Activision Blizzard have sucked ass for quite some time and have not released a good game in a while. So I do not have faith that the company will be able to do anything good for the Xbox except add Call of Duty and Diablo games to Game Pass. Everyone take care and remember to eat tomatoes. 
very good comment there because, of course, as everyone will know, Alec Baldwin has eaten a tomato every day for the past 48 years of his life. And as we all know, that man has grown to um, accidentally become a murderer. So there you go. Now, way of the Lao, as you as you say here, I wouldn't say Activision Blizzard have sucked for a while. I, I, I would say Blizzard has had a massive fall from grace and has very much deserved their earned reputation uh, that they have now for being anti-consumer and for not putting out good games anymore and all these things. I think I think a game studio is not earned or deserved a good reputation just because at one point in time they were great. You know, obviously Blizzard's a phenomenal team. Warcraft, Starcraft, you know, even Overwatch because I know people love that game. These games are incredibly important um, to gaming, but... That that doesn't mean Blizzard is is just given a, a a pass no matter what they do. You know that you have to maintain a level of of quality and consistency to be considered a one of the greats. And I think Blizzard have absolutely had a fall from grace. I don't think it's going to be impossible for them to get back to where they are. I think Diablo Four absolutely is going to be a good game. I think people are going to forgive a lot of the wrongdoings once they get their hands on Diablo Four. Finally, that's my guess. And I think even Overwatch 2 will probably bring a lot of goodwill, especially now that it's going to be a free-to-play game. But you just can't undo all the harm they've done overnight. And you got to speak by putting out good products. And they just haven't done that in a while. So I think that's the thing with them. With Activision, it's kind of a tale of two stories with, with Activision because you want to say that they've sucked ass for a long time, but Activision consistently puts out good games even though the games they put out are, are repetitive, redundant, right? I, I get it. Call of Duty almost all the time. But you can't tell me that, you know, Crash Bandicoot 4 wasn't a huge, a, a huge gift to Crash fans and all the Crash and Spyro and Tony Hawk remakes we had recently, that those weren't a huge, like, widely highly praised well-received offering and that you know we can't sit here oh my god my cat's just staring at me it's amazing but it's also kind of creepy anyway you know we can't sit here and just pretend like you know they didn't fucking publish a from software game in Sekiro fairly recently obviously Activision has done good shit and Call of Duty whether you like it or not has consistently been a good product you can be tired of Call of Duty you can think Call of Duty is uninspired and repetitive and samey and whatever but play a Call of Duty game, pound for pound, on average, what you are getting is a very, very solid first-person shooter game with a lot of bang for your buck because you get a full multiplayer suite, a rock-solid campaign, and a bunch of other extra goodies and Warzone and all that crap now. Whether you like that product or not, you cannot deny Call of Duty is generally well-made, controls very well, plays very well, is a pretty highly uh, high-quality, high-production product, so... I don't know. Activision puts out good stuff. It might not be the thing you're looking for, but I just... They operate like a business, and that's the part that makes them detestable. But they put out products that are widely received well and commercially do great. I don't I, I don't know that they suck. But uh, I, I do hope that we see some cultural change for the better once Xbox gets involved. We'll have to wait and see. Eating tomatoes right now. Let's round out with a couple quick comments, guys. Sam Torres writes in and says, Hope you feel better. Sorry to hear you caught the big C two years late. But you're one of the smart guys. Are they even going to update the name of the virus to C22? Thanks for letting letting us. Thanks for never letting us down. Sam Torres. They have updated the name. They are calling it the Pony Virus, because only PlayStation fans uh, now get that virus. Xbox are immune. We have an we have a an immunity 
prevents us, you see, I- included in your $15 a month subscription to Xbox Game Pass includes uh, indefinite antibodies to any virus. In, in fact, I haven't been sick. Um, I haven't been sick since the Xbox was first released. So how do you like that? Anyway, our final comment of the week is a quick one. It comes from Zeke Robinson, who says, I personally have decided to pretend that the new Cuphead DLC does not exist. I cannot go back and play that game again. Same. Dude, fucking, I'd get stressed out. If someone put a gun to my head and was like, uh, go roll credits on Cuphead or I'll shoot you, I'd be like, well, fuck, can I have one phone call to say goodbye to my mom? Because I'm like, I'm not making it out alive, dude. Fuck that. But anyway, that is going to do it for our show this week, guys. We got all the comments read, all the news read. I'm pretty sure some of you guys listen to the podcast. I'm pretty sure some of you guys uh, put it on as background noise while you made love for the first time. I don't know. Hopefully that's what you're doing. But with that said, guys, um, it's going to do it for the week. We'll see you all next week. Remember, if you want to follow along, um, you can follow the podcast on iTunes, on YouTube, on Spotify, any podcast service, leave a review. I'd really greatly appreciate it, especially on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys could leave five-star reviews, leave some kind of feedback, I'd, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, if you want to interact with me, I'm on Instagram at jesse underscore DeRosa, jesse DeRosa. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to step away from Twitter a little bit right now. You can message me on Twitter. Follow me at jesse DeRosa on Twitter. I will respond if you want to follow or tag me or DM me or whatever. Um, but I'm trying to get away from Twitter right now. I've uninstalled it from my phone, and I'll just I'll use a little bit here and there. I'll still use it to post updates about the stream of the podcast, but I'm trying to just live a healthier life. I would rather develop an addiction to mobile games and dick around on my phone too much playing, like, shitty card games on my phone than just constantly doom scroll Twitter, which I just, I, I'm one of those people. And I, I don't want to be that guy. I feel like I, I always use the excuse, well, Twitter is informative. It's the best news app out there. Bullshit. I can find better news apps and that, you know, news apps that don't make me depressed. So Twitter, Twitter sucks. It just constantly feels like, you know, it's like a fucking screaming battle and everyone's just flexing on one another and no one's actually trying to like make friends or make peace or have fun. Everyone's just trying to become cool and make everyone else feel like an asshole. Not a good time. So follow me on Twitter if you want, but if I'm less active on there, you know why. Uh, but, you know, we hang out together on Monday nights, stream twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. Uh, follow the podcast, but most importantly, guys, have a great week. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Spend time with those you care about. Um, eat great food. Get rest. Uh, play some good video games, and, and, and take care. Just gen- generally, be well. Have fun. And until next week, power your dreams.